0: G'day Noob spear listeners, today's Noob spear podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Supplies.
1: You can check out Australia's largest spearfishing range in person at their Brisbane or Sydney stores or online at spearfishing.com.au
0: That's right Turbo, Adreno is offering a special to Noob spear listeners, $20 off all purchases Ooh. over $200. You can use the code Noob spiro online or in store at checkout. So remember that code
1: is Noob spiro remember to add it at checkout. Let's get into today's episode.
2: Hello and welcome to the Noob Spearow
0: podcast, where we interview experts, authorities, and characters on all things spearfishing. Come and join us after the show at noobspearow.com, the online spearfishing community helping you to become a better Spearow. Here are your hosts for the show, Shrek and Turbo. G'day, Noob Spiro. Joining us today from Curtis Island, Gladstone, we have a very special guest. He's he's uh, heavily involved in filming and the production of the Spearfishing Down Under magazine DVDs. He's also the former president of the Tweed Gold Coast Freedivers. And uh, tonight he's joining us. Like I said, from Curtis Island there in Central Queensland. Central
1: Queensland, just off the coast of Gladstone. G'day, yes, Dan. Daniel Mann. Hey. What's going G'day. on,
2: buddy? Oh, sitting in my wonderful, wonderful prison cell. I mean, um, Donga, as they affectionately known. So, so um, you're
1: sitting, you're sitting in a mining camp up in Central Queensland with all that water around you, and you can't go diving. Is that right?
2: Yeah, pretty much. You get kicked off site if you um, get get on um, get in the water. And um, I only found out after the induction when I got on site that you weren't allowed any, um, you know, weapons or anything in the camp. And obviously, I brought all my spearfishing gear up because <laughs> I've got a day off. Each week, but um, you know they're,
1: they're tools, buddy. They're essential tools. Yeah,
2: no, nobody needs to know that, but that's all right. I'll only be here temporary, so That's all yeah. Good. So up here working away on a giant uh, gas plant, so super exciting stuff. All right, gas
1: plant. I'm sitting in the studio of the giant gas plant. It's fantastic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would. Uh, I'd say this this gas plant slightly more profitable than the one you're sitting. <laughs> oh, That's that true. is harsh! Is this how we're going to start? <laughs> we actually, right.
0: we actually had a phone call earlier. We've oh, been teaming stuff. a few things nice. up. All right, so, so Dan, just look. Can you tell us a bit about about where you got started and how you, and how you got started spearfishing here in, in Queensland? <laughs> <That's> nasty.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I started probably because um, I was copying my brother because he was doing a little bit of it on his uni holidays back in two thousand and three. He started, so I jumped in the water down the seaway with a Sea Hornet and. Um, yeah, terrorising the local brim population on the seaway at the Gold Coast, and then um, yeah, just as you do, jump on the um, on the online forums, met a few people, um, bought a gun off a um, off a bloke uh, Greg Smith down the Gold Coast, and um, sort of hung around him a bit for a fair bit, and he sort of got me a bit more involved in spearfishing and uh, taught me a hell of a lot about what I know today, and um, yeah, I um, okay. yeah, just started punching around the Tweed River, shooting Flathead and Mangrove Jack, and then, you know, just stemmed from there. Met a few guys in Brisbane um, just through, you know, mutual friends and meeting people on forums and started diving out of Brisbane probably more regularly than anywhere.
0: Cool. Sounds like you had a a fairly fortunate start. I mean, um, so you had a mentor and Greg Smith and... uh... You got hold of some fairly good equipment. Um, what were some of the obstacles you had starting out?
2: Oh, I used to have a lot of uh, dramas with seasickness, actually. Um, Kindred uh, spirits
0: here with Turbo. Oh, Turbo yeah. chucking his guts all over the boat. Brown.
1: We, we've yeah. we've had discussions about this and that. You recommended to me was it
2: avermee? Avermind. Avermee. Avermind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've only thrown up maybe once or twice on that in about. Eight or nine years or something. So um, it's pretty good gear. It just makes you really drowsy. So um, oh. once I sort of started eating drugs, I mean, um, seasick tablets. I um, <laughs> I came good. good. And uh, yeah, so that was it. And then I probably had a few um, problems equalising at some stage in my life. And I've had like uh, I've had two uh, sinus operations to get my sinuses bored out a bit. I just had um, really sort of small openings up to the airways in my frontal sinuses above my eyebrow. So okay. So Two nose jobs later, not any prettier, but I uh, can dive right A bit better now. So. so you got that done in Thailand, didn't you? On holiday? No, no, no. I got I got that <laughs> done in Brisbane here. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a painful operation. Um, oh, not the operation's not painful. You're knocked out, but um, the sinus flushes for the preceding weeks and the interesting um pieces of bone and cauterized flesh and congealed blood that come out of your sinuses are really interesting. Oh, so wow.
1: And that, that so was, was that was just so you could go diving, is that
0: right? Is that, is that what we did? it?
2: Yeah, no other reason to be honest. Yeah, I just thought stuff it I'm um, bit of self modification, why not?
0: So so seasickness and your frontal Equal, sinuses were two yeah, big, big just, issues. Yeah, just equalising. Yeah,
2: that was that was probably the two biggest issues for me. And and you, then, and um, you
0: counted one with drugs and the other with surgery.
2: Yeah, so wow. very,
0: very, very Hollywood,
2: I guess. But, um, no, that's
0: fine. Look, did, did you have to get a, a, um, a referral to a uh, like an a ear, ear, nose and throat specialist to deal yeah. with your
2: problems? Uh, um, yeah, the first, yeah, you basically go to a GPS that I've got all these you know, problems with my um, sinuses. And um, I went the first uh, ENT that I went to, I wasn't really, I'd sort of helped a little bit, but um, he sort of mainly did the sinuses at a, a below your eyes, okay. which I was generally more having problems above my eyes. And so I went to saw another one that was recommended by my auntie. She's a, a GP and said he's probably the best ENT in in Queensland. So I um, went and saw him, got some scans and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I got like shortening of, you know, like constricted sinus um, passageways there and a lot of bony membranes. So it's like real thin sort of like papery type bones above your you nose, know, sort of between your eyebrows there. And that were just constricted. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, got them bored out for a bit. And um, and yeah.
0: and so you got the surgery, it was a little bit painful, there was a few after effects, but now you're diving really well?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, for probably like the first two and a half years after I got the second operation, yeah, I could hands-free as deep as I could dive oh, every wow. day of the week. But wow. um, obviously, yeah. Um, yeah, particularly springs are never a good time where I get pretty bad hay fever. So, you know, there's always a bit squeaky and stuff, but like I've never really had a day where I couldn't actually dive to cool. some degree, so yeah, it's been good, but yeah, um, yeah that's, that's probably the, the main that's,
0: things. That, that seems amazing. Yeah, it's really good to talk to someone about it because I know it's actually like a fairly common issue amongst you, new guys to diving. They have these issues with their sinus and ears with equalisation. We don't actually yeah. talk about that much, so yeah. it's really yeah, good I've, to sort of hear a bit about it.
2: I've never really had too many problems with my ears, like because um, I can hand, I can, I can do the motions to hands-free equalise. So I can like pop my ears right now. But um, just because you can pop your ears doesn't mean that air's going to sort of Flow through your upper sinuses. So if you like, you do the cutaway view of, of your body on Google, you know, and you can see your sinuses. Mainly the stuff above your your nose is probably what causes you more problems. If you're getting like sore ears and that sort of stuff, i will just say you're not equalizing enough or often enough when you're diving. So um, oh, and a big important thing is um, uh, I always equalize on the surface before I actually dive. Um, yeah. so like I I'm to inflate your sinuses, so to speak, yep, before yep. you leave the surface. So yeah, because if you're three meters down, then you're starting again. They're already you yeah. already you know, you're already stuck halfway. So Oh, that's
0: good. I actually do that when I'm pushing, when I'm pushing a bit of depth for myself and I'm not talking like I'm not breaking any world records here. I'm just saying when I, when I'm, when I'm sort of diving to the, the deepest that I'm comfortable with, mm. I'm, I'm always equalizing at the surface and making sure I've got kind of positive pressure in there before I leave the surface. So. Yeah.
2: I, I think that's a, a really good practice. Plus yeah, the other thing is like I've, I did a state titles, I think it was 2012 or something um, up the reef off 1770 and I was, cruising all day probably about three hours into it um and like i just blew blew my sinuses on the surface as i normally do and just everything just sort of locked up and didn't move i was like this isn't good this doesn't normally happen and then i thought oh i'm probably a bit dehydrated I hadn't drunk anything for three hours smashed a gatorade and and about half a liter of water on for out of my boat float on the surface swam around for 15 minutes and then you know equalized to get on the surface everything was all sweet so like it's also a good sort of you know it's a way to hurt yourself less because you don't have that extra pressure on you know so if you're on the surface and go oh crap my ears buggered out this dive you know you can sort of find that out before you're three, four five meters down where you really got a lot of pressure on so yeah, it's always I, I find it a really good practice of of just doing it on the surface before you um cool. take your yeah, dive. Right.
0: Thanks for um giving us a bit of in depth there for that. Um, Dan, it was a bit drawn out, but um some yeah, good sorry information. About that. No, yeah, no, yeah. no, it was really no, good, was really a bit good of awesome. interesting. No, but
1: good. Just to change up the pace, mate. You've shot plenty of good fish in the ten years or so that you've been going, mate. What's the uh, What's the one memorable fish that stands out for you in in that
0: time?
2: Should I say the cobia? Was that a bit, bit piss week, The cobia? Nah, no, the cobia was awesome. Give mate. us,
0: give us anything. The
2: cobia was great, especially as a starting out story. I've got, i probably got not, actually no, I've got a better one, a better one of a snapper. Um, I was, I just finished work uh, for the year, the, the Christmas break, and um, I think it was just howling Northly. and um, it was my dad's birthday actually on the twenty third of December, and I thought, stuff it, I got the day off. There's no swell, but it was howling Northly. so I thought I'm going to go to Kingscliff and go for a bit of a rock hop and. I was in the car park at about midday, suiting up, and um, Ray Powell uh, actually yeah, was cruising round the car park. He's like, "Oh, hey Dan, how's it going?" I'm like, "Oh, hey mate, uh, you know, just gonna go for a swim." He's like, "Yeah, it's pretty green out there. Um, good luck." Uh, he said, "Oh, I was out there the other day, and you know, it was a bit cleaner on the north side of the reef." I thought, "Sweet." So I've just taken this as absolute. I must swim to the north because obviously Ray, Ray's <laughs> one of the, probably the, the yeah. best divers at. Uh, Gold Coast has had, you know, like he's awesome, phenomenal so I'm like, yep, I'm doing anything, Ray tells me. Yeah. And um, so I swam like super north um out of the break, out of the back line, and um, came past the back line. It was pretty dirty, sort of like six, seven metres vis And I came up across this rock and I'm like, oh sweet, a rock I've never seen before, like way north of where you'd normally swim out. And um I was looking at it going, oh, there's a Samson fish asleep in there. And so I sort of swam up to it, had a rock. There's a rock with like a little crack in the middle of it, and I swam like, oh, I dived on it. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll shoot this Samson fish, this will be nice. And Sure enough, I um, this Samson fish as such has um, sort of just slowly moozied off, and I realised it was a big ass snapper just sitting there asleep. Wow. And I've gone and gone the biggest buck fever ever, and put a shot right high in it, and it's you know torn off over this rock, done a big loop around me, and I've saw- sort of seen it on the edge of visibility. And as it's come around, I've just seen this whirlwind of GTs, like monster oh. GTs, come past me. And what <laughs> I was hoping was what I was hoping was like cobio like it was in really dirty water. But I'm pretty sure they were bronzies because if Kingscliff's, you know, it's going off, there's, you know, GTs and bronzies and that's generally the only time you see a lot of sharks there is when when it's going off, and then, yeah, it sort of hold itself, like, sort of wrapped up on the bottom, and I've only got the mono through the top, top shoulder because I put a prick of a shot in, and, um, yeah, man. anyway, I got down there and grabbed it and stuck my hand in its gills and picked it up and thought, you know what, I'm not going to get any better than this, I'm 100 metres past the back line, so I just swam straight back in, probably like a Half hour rock hop and I had a um five point seven five kilo oh. snapper. So I was <laughs> I was pretty stoked. At? I'm like yeah, well this will do. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get anything better. There's heaps of fish out here. I probably should have stayed out there. You know probably probably was going off out, out ah, a bit wider. Weird. But I thought oh well I'm done. I'm scared because I'm by myself and uh, it's dirty water and there's a heap of fish circling around me. So I swam in. So yeah, I was pretty stoked on that. Was probably like the the first really good fish where anyone else probably actually would have been jealous of it. So I was yeah, really happy nice. with that.
1: How long you how long you had you been diving for up until that stage? Uh,
2: that was two thousand and eight, so probably like oh, you know, your first two years that you are oh, diving yeah. as such, you're probably not really doing anything right. But I've probably only been diving maybe like two years, seriously, sort of that's like a, you know, getting right into it.
0: That's actually a really good point. Like I think some of the guys that get started they don't realise how sort of how much perseverance you put into spearfishing to get started. Like two years without really shooting anything fantastic oh, is pretty yeah. normal, wouldn't it, when you're shore diving?
2: Oh, sure diving! We're sitting in the in a tinny in the in the Tweed River, hoping for something different, and all you're shooting flathead and and brim and whiting and yeah. going, how good am I? But and then you know, all, all got to start somewhere, so I don't begrudge anyone for doing that.
0: Nah, and then so Alpha Dan strolls in with his 5.75 kilo snapper. Super stoked. Yeah, I bet you
2: were. Love. Stuck it in the back back of my little hatchback Corolla. Oh, nice. Only just fit in my little 70 liter esky, so <laughs>
1: you know what? <laughs> when, up when I started spearfishing, I had a Corolla as well. And it was a 1985 crawler, and I threw plenty of mackerel in the back of that
2: thing. I had a, I had a little 86 hatchback, a little Oof. white one, a little boxy thing, so... Oh, you the, guys have got, the... like, a bromance. Oh, mate, I
1: had, had the CSX. Something Did you have yeah. the CSX or just the no, CSX? I don't know.
2: I had the luxury five-speed manual, though, with the tape oh, dash. Oh, man, jealous. Oh, oh, jeez. Jeez. Yeah, this is getting <laughs> awkward, so moving yes. on. So, Dan, no. look... Um, What's this is a new
0: section on the show. It comes from one of our listeners. He's um he wanted wants to know more about hunting techniques and uh, yep. So look, what's your what's your favourite hunting technique and how do you apply it successfully?
2: Um, well, probably my f- well favourite or not so much favourite. But what I generally do most often is um, I try and minimise the time I'm in crappy areas, um, like where there's no fish, like um there's plenty of guys that will dive longer and deeper than me. But, you know, if you're diving in an area where there's no fish, like what's the point? So I think, I guess my hunting technique is or what I'm always looking for is, you know, fish, um, you know, we're like sort of trying to read the conditions a bit more, you know, if the current's going this way, I'm expecting fish to be here on certain days. And I guess like encompassed in the whole lot, it's just like an awareness of your surroundings as sort of your hunting style and going yeah. for your day that way. Not so much a doing underwater, but, um, if you're hunting, you're obviously looking for the fish. Okay, but, so what you're, um,
0: what you're saying is, is that if you jump in, even if you've got expectations and it's, it looks unprofitable, like there's not enough fish there, uh, move on.
2: Yeah, well, I, I guess you can waste a lot of time in areas that aren't fishy. Like I've, like there's some spots, say, like off Brisbane, like you go, you dive in there, or you you, you jump in the first spot. You know, you do a, do a drift for f- mackerel first up in the morning in in summer at Flinders. You know, you, you see what the current's doing, and if it's you know if it's going uphill you know coming from the south to north like i just go well i've just written off you know half the spots that i'd normally dive because they're not gonna you know they're not gonna work on that current or if it's flogging downhill, i go oh, i want to be here at this time and yeah you sort of just um trying to keep your head in the game and, and thinking a bit more instead of just going oh, i've shot a fish here five years ago that was awesome um yeah. oh, i'm gonna okay, I'm, yep. I'm gonna keep going back there every day i think sort of hunting is more about like sort of understanding your, you know what you're trying to target um more okay. so than what you do on the bottom obviously on the bottom is is good as well generally um you know nice slow controlled movements um you know avoiding okay. eye contact all the usual sort of stuff but i think if you're trying to hunt a fish you're not going to get a chance to use any of your you know techniques on the bottom if you can't find said fish to start with so um yeah i'd say like my favorite or my most used technique is um just probably keeping a good eye on the sounder and sort of just understanding um you know, fish tend to congregate on the up, up current side of a reef. So if you know, if the currents go the opposite way, they're not gonna be there, you know. So um yep. yeah. I tend to tend to just use my sounder and um a bit of sort of general knowledge on what to do before I sort of select my spots. Like so if I you know, most people go to Morton, they've got a favourite spot. Oh, god, I've shot this here. Every time I go there there's this here. Well, it's not actually the case. There's never always something there every time you go there. Um
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. That's that's really good. So so you really got to, um, you know, dive to the conditions and and sort of be mindful yeah. of areas and and keep keep that in the back of your mind when you're you're looking to sort of plan your your days diving and cover that ground and sort of, I guess what you're saying there, if you've if you know how a place works, you can see straight away and get in the water those, those spots and where they're going to produce.
2: Yeah, yeah. like. Like, you know, if you go, oh, I'm going to go to the wave rider boy and it's been, you know, off, off strata, you know, you're looking for dolphin fish, uh, you know, early season this time of year. If you're looking for dolphin fish, you know, you're probably going to go, if you go on when it's been blowing northerly for two weeks, chances are that it's going to be, you know, fairly dirty, cold, green water. But yep. once you get that first southeasterly blow that's blowing hard for, you know, a week, it's the first flush of warm water that's probably going to get your fish there. So I'd say, like, if I'm going to go, try and shoot a dolphin fish, I'm going to be waiting for those conditions to go hunt that sort of, you know, fish. You sort of read the conditions and, and what's going on as such. Um, Perfect.
0: So it's, yeah. a, it's, it's another, it's another, to me, to, to what, to what I'm hearing, it's, it's another point about perseverance and like, like new guys that get in, it, it, it takes a little bit of time to develop that, that, um, that sort of understanding of the area. So no, that's cool. Well, What's the, um, what's the scariest moment you've had out spearfishing, Dan, and what, what did you learn from
2: it? Um, scariest moment was when I was, well, I wasn't on the boat at the time, but uh, the boat I was supposed to be getting home on uh, flipped upside down, um, that sucked a lot. Um, we're out off, <laughs> off, off Morton on the on the northeast northeastern side of Flinders with uh, Flinders Reef. There it comes out of water at low tide. Um Wow! This was probably I think it was I was first year apprentice because I remember calling my boss saying I'm not going to be in tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, so how far offshore is that? Just to uh, I think I think Flinders Reef off the Cape of Morton is I think it's six or seven kilometres north, <laughs> pretty much north of the Cape. So, oh, like, wow, big swim. It, oh well. It's short enough to contemplate swimming, but long enough to go, this is a bad idea. So (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, we went out on an Easter Monday and it probably wasn't a great idea to go out. Um, Probably, I think it was like maybe 15 to 20, gusting to 25, southeasterly. We thought, oh, we'll just duck our heads out and got out on the northern side of Flinders because the southeaster was blowing. And um, if you get a run out tide there, anyone that's been there on a run out tide with a bit of a Southeasterly blow knows that it just gets pretty gnarly on that north side, yeah. and um, yeah. The guy driving the boat, um, I think just turned the boat a bit sideways and um, yeah, ended up rolling the boat on him. It was Whoa. a 17 foot hay, so Ooh. yeah, he ended up with a um, a broken rib and a cracked vertebrae. And so, wow. um, yeah, my mate, um, Steve, the boat owner, he uh, managed to get the anchor out uh, while the boat was upside down and grab the e perb out. And so, we're just sitting clinging to this upside down 17. Um, anchored there clinging to an EPIRB um, hoping that it worked and uh, let off a few flares Um, obviously not too many people out that day and uh, yeah for three and a half hours waited for a helicopter and the bloke came down on the the little cable and picked us up one by one and by that stage it was really low tide and um, Flinders actually comes out of water at low tide and so he dropped us one by one on top of Flinders reef and then uh, took us two by two to the Cape, there's a helipad on the Cape there so, um, and then back to Archerfield in Brisbane, so.
0: Wow. Yeah. Then, um. That's an experience. Like, uh, like there's a lot of guys that spearfish Shelf Brisbane. They've probably never, ever experienced that, Dan. So, what, what, yeah, it, uh, what yeah. it, like, I mean, a lot of us kind of resent the continual checks of our flares and our repurb and things like that.
2: Oh, um, mate, like... But I mean, on like, a
0: day like that, you'd be
2: appreciating it for sure, wouldn't you? Oh, you're like, oh, you're just thinking, like, there's, there's nothing else, you know? Like, you got, you're out there, doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank or, you know, how many people know you or what you've got the best, you know? A lot of people ta- know Turbo and me. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> you know none, of it, none of it helps you out there. So, um, yeah, I'd probably take away from that. Like, you know, it's a pain in the ass. Nobody likes. You know, everyone hates getting booked. Oh, your flares are out of date by a month. Or, oh, you know, your life jacket is, is got a bit of mold on it. So, you know, you're getting a fine for that. But yeah, I don't know. Like in, in that situation, you just there's nothing really you wouldn't give to go. Yes, my eperb's working and. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. But no, um, no, yeah,
0: for sure. Like, like I, I was, I was being, I was being serious before I made a joke. That like, uh, I mean, I think I've been out a lot of times. We've been checked, and and you sort of think, oh man, here it yeah. goes again. And and um, but I, I can see like, like when you told that story, I was thinking, man, I would be so grateful to have an ePerb yeah. to
2: turn on to. Um, oh yeah, oh, mate, we, we, uh, yeah. Had so you logged
1: on with the VMR?
2: Oh, I I'd never really bothered logging. On. Like we never, it's nothing we anything we'd really done. But we saw the footage later that night on the news and uh, because our families recorded it. And, um, yeah, apparently the VMR boats, the rescue boat, stuck its nose out past the Cape, said, stuff this, and turned around. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: And, uh, yeah, let the helicopter pick us up. But uh, five days later, he he got the boat back anyway. He went back with some scuba gear. And, um, actually, Tony Hugh and Simon Baldwin, thanks, guys, uh, next day went out and found the boat because we tied our floats to it. It was sitting on the bottom in 30-something metres of water and Tony, Tony, the legend, went down and grabbed a bit of our gear out that he could. After a few dives, he decided, I want to go spearfishing now. Found our esky floating around um, Flinders and took that home with us as well. And, um, yeah, they went back five days later and got a, a chaff bag and let a scuba tank rip under it like a big hot air balloon, floated the... 17 back to the surface and towed it back in with a bigger boat and yeah it's running running today it's good oh sweet oh, yeah.
0: good story can't
2: kill a hanes eh no the yellow submarine literally um so yeah. that's the the running joke about that one so i was
0: i was recently out with a friend dan and we had a breakdown the um starter failed um, just in a just in a normal it was a 17 hanes as well and uh we got towed all the way back in it by the vmr uh the vmr there at briby and they towed, oh yep they towed us all the way back into scarborough off. This is all off Brisbane for our audience, and um, you know it was a good. It was a good hour tow at twenty knots. Wow. <laughs> and uh, you know, like, but we're just we were so super grateful to be towed in, and it was a friend of mine's boat. Um, I don't. I don't want to mention his name, but um, after that, he's joined the VMR, and I think you know a lot of guys are learning to log in and log out with the Coast Guard or VMR in the area. I I do believe in it. Um, I know a lot of guys don't, but.
2: Oh, i guess it's just one of those things you know you think oh it's flat as it's blown five to ten knots what's going to happen you know like who cares sort of thing do i really need you know do i really need this radio you know there's heaps of boats out here but yeah i tell you what um in the situation it's um yeah you definitely wish you had everything going but uh yeah we got it didn't cost us anything actually um the helicopter uh fly back to archerfield and uh we went and you know took on some fish and some craze a couple of weeks later or probably a couple of months later when we got the boat back running but um yeah, yeah nice. so
0: good stuff Good story. Good. All, all's well that ends well, I guess. So, look, Chuck, change pace again. Um, what's the funniest thing you've seen out at spearfishing, Dan?
2: I've seen lots of funny things. Um, probably a good one was uh, <laughs> uh, we had a club comp down at the Tweed and uh, Gary Rayner um, had uh, Ray Powell in the boat and he was back in his Boat down, Ray was driving and Ray didn't uh, trim the engine up and Gary's just done the old, you know, take the chain off a metre away from the ramp, you know, back the boat down, hook the anchor on it, boom. He's just got like no skeg left. I've got this brilliant brilliant photo of him. Just He's got his hand on the skeg and he's just got this look on his face just going, how did this happen? But uh, that was funny. But there's heaps of funny stuff around there. Like any time you have to with Tony Hugh a lot and uh, he's a funny man. Yeah, okay. Maybe not put that in there because people might get offended about Tony, me saying something about Tony. Um, Funny, yeah. That's scary, oh, our, cool.
0: our last guest actually mentioned Tony Hugh. Um, Richard Pillans um, originally came from South Africa and he was shore diving one day. Um, Sunshine Coast. Up at Coolum, yeah. yeah. Tony and, was telling me the story. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's seen Richard walking in and gone up to him and, and Tony Hugh's a, a local here in Queensland now. He's a South African guy who makes edge spear guns but at the time he was the dealer for Rob Allen. And yeah. uh, he's sort of taken Richard under his wing, I think, and sort of taken him out for a few dives out off Morton, and and that's how he's got started. So it's pretty funny. His name's come up twice in a row with two interviews. So no,
2: yeah, no, it's, it's good. I spent I spent a lot of time with Tony. Um, probably like the year after I finished school, I was going up working for him and making a few spear guns with him and spending a bit of time up there. And uh, he's an absolute legend. He knows his stuff like just inside out. And um, oh, it's just just a funny man. I, I think probably one one funny time uh, we were driving from Brisbane to um. I think it was uh, Nelson Bay for Pacific coast championships. And, um, he's got a habit of taking his dog everywhere and, uh, yeah, just rolled up, uh, at the meeting point at my brother's house in Brisbane to meet him. And, uh, He's got this dog. His dog, Panda, that's just suddenly coming on a <laughs> ten hour, ten hour drive in my parents' uh, Forester, because my Corolla wasn't going to make it, obviously, that far. So, oh, I was in my yeah, parents' no. car, and I've got this dog running around the back of the car. And on the way back, you know, we had the competition row runner. Tony doesn't like to do a lot of, didn't do a lot of driving. Well, not that he didn't do a lot of driving. I just got frustrated at Tony doing ninety and one hundred and ten so <laughs> stuff, and I'm driving. I'm, and uh, on the way back, I. I I let him drive and uh, I woke up and I was just on a beach somewhere and he's not <laughs> in the car. I'm sitting in this car. I'm like, where the hell is Tony? He's gone to taking his dog for a walk on the beach at Whoopi or something or, or Google <laughs> somewhere at Coffs Harbour. I'm just like, where the hell is he? I was like, damn it, we're just losing time here. I just want to get home. But, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's quite the character, Tony. Heart of gold. He's probably one of the nicest blokes I've, I've met. And, um, yeah, still chat to Tony even now. So I'm surprised he still talks to me, actually, after, after – uh, me growing up with him a little bit so nah, yeah nah, top luck good. Good. Good.
1: mate it's uh, it's time for Pirate Pete's Veterans Vault Pirate Pete where are you buddy
0: Arr! it's time to open the Veterans
1: Vault thanks Barnacle Bob today's Veterans Vault is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Fishing Supplies
0: yeah Adreno I've put together a special for New Spear Podcast Ooh. listeners you can save $20 on all purchases over $200 bargain Just use the code Noobspearo at checkout. You can use that online or in store.
1: That's right. And they've got $15 flat rate shipping Australia-wide and a 90-day hassle-free returns policy. Just tell them Tight Ass Turbo sent you and they'll sort you out.
0: Righto. Back to the show, buddy. Yeah, so, look, this is the part of the show where we ask our special guests to take us deep into an area of spearfishing expertise that they'd like to share about. We call it the Veterans Vault. And... um, we know you've, you've spent a lot of time making spear guns in your own time, Dan, and and, uh, and we'd love for you to share some of that wisdom with um, our audience, some of whom are probably interested in making their own spear guns.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, I've been doing it probably since uh, probably not long after I first picked up a spear gun and saw a few things online and thought, I'll have a crack at that. Why not? What's the worst that could happen? So, um, yeah, come, come a fairly long way. Uh, I think my first spear gun I laminated together with PVA, Wood glue, which, um, <laughs> if you don't know, is uh, water-soluble. So uh, <laughs> that was... A, the early f- lessons we learned, I guess. Yeah, that, that wasn't a great success, that particular particular gun. But, yeah, I, I made a few just sort of, you see a few pictures on the internet, you copy a bit of this, bit of that, you know, and go, I like that, I don't like that. And you learn a lot doing it, and, um, yeah. So, like,
0: if, if we could just, like, start off with a broad picture, because, look, for me, I'm not a technical guy. Yep. Like, if you had to sort of lay it out, like basics, like maybe in five steps, how would you explain building a homemade spear gun?
2: Um, well, well, typically 90% of people, guns that people build are generally made out of timber. So um, that involves just a, a stock, you know, like your, your barrel as such. Um, uh, you just uh, Normally uh, you laminate that together, so cut thin strips and, and glue it back together because it's um, generally more stable and less prone to warping. So you glue that up, you straighten that up, so you've got a nice thing, then you'd probably... Cut a track on the top, generally with a router. Um, I, know, okay. I know some uh, guys, uh, particularly I think uh, Rick Fallow. Um, he's, I think he's from Victoria or Northern Territory, but he's, he swaps between Close. the spots. He's, he's done a few articles. You know, you see him on the internet. His guns are very yeah. recognisable. And um, I remember he did, did one. I saw a thread on the internet somewhere where he wanted to do a gun without with the minimum of tools so i think he used a, a rasp and a chisel to build an entire gun so but oh, well, i would recommend the router option generally you get a nice straight track but um, yeah well, can it, 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 it can be done with very minimal tools if, if you're not that way inclined but yeah router on a table run a track and cut a slot um, for your mechanism generally your gun's made up of just your, your barrel your mechanism some sort of muzzle arrangement for your your rubbers and a spear so there's not they're not they're not a, they're not a very complicated item um, it's very easy to make a gun that kills fish it's um a bit harder to make a gun that looks good and isn't a pain in the ass to use and kills fish so, okay. um, so
1: right. th- those timber guns mate when you're gluing those laminates together what what sort
2: of glues are you using um oh I, I normally use a two-part epoxy um i've been using west systems brand for for a long time there's heaps of epoxies yep. out there on the market now you know just something waterproof um yep. well they're mo- mostly waterproof but yeah it's pretty easy to to mix up you could use um 24 our araldite, um, if you want, uh, actually uh, Greg um, yeah. got me onto that. When I first started making a few guns, he was giving me a lot of tips on them, and um, yeah, because I didn't want to, because I, I don't know what well, I was probably in year twelve or something, didn't have much money at all working at McDonald's, so you know, just buy the 24-hour araldite in little packets, and yeah, that glues up guns fine if you if you want. So. Um. And what
1: about um. And what about the the finish on the stock? How how would you recommend sealing a gun?
2: Um, I'm a big fan of for timber guns is actually properly sealing it. Uh, like I would say with you know some sort of um, two part polyurethane. You can use a marine varnish, or i, I generally use an epoxy uh, finish. But I'm not a big fan of oiling guns. Um, a lot of people argue for and against, but for my in my experience and opinion, that oils. You know, obviously they absorb into the timber so they can, you know, dissipate out of the timber over time. You know, you see someone who's got a Rife gun that, you know, haven't, hasn't had any love in a couple of years. It's, you know, generally looks like a piece of driftwood. And um, at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was a real, real thing. Um, Tim, I dive with him a lot. Um, he uses a Rife Euro and his was just getting, he was complaining about his being really heavy at the end of the day. Because so, when it's at the start of the day, you know, it's nice and buoyant, it hasn't soaked in any water. And at the end of the day, it's just like a brick underwater because it's absorbed all this water. So then oh, I... Right? Uh, I put eye stripped it all back and put an epoxy finish on it, and uh, yeah, he reckons it's just the best thing ever. So I'm not I'm not a big fan of of oiled guns. Um, just doesn't seem to really seal it that well. All the upkeep on it is okay. Is light. It's very very easy to apply. If you're making a gun in a rush just to kill something, yeah, go nuts. And, but... and, and Tim McDonald, he's a
0: bit of a local legend. I mean, he dives from dawn till dusk apparently. So I can imagine him putting gear through its paces. So
2: when I got his Rife Euro, um, I think he was. Oh, he was overseas. Oh, I don't know what he was doing. He had he had a week off doing something. But anyway, I said, yeah, I'll do it in a week. And I got his gun and because his sheds, yeah, the shed where he sticks all his stuff is generally out of the, uh, out of the sun. There was actually green mold on the inside of the mechanism pocket where it's actually a moss had formed because <laughs> his gear never actually dries because he dives that often. Uh, like and the-
0: in the States, they have a name for guys like that. They call them mossbacks. Mossbacks. like they spend that much time in the water that moss starts growing on oh, their back. It, and he's it just sounds like dries moss out. started yeah. growing in Tim's gun. Yeah, yeah I yeah, ended, ended, up, ended up doing it.
2: Uh, I had to let it dry out for a couple of days and first stick it in the sun and hope it didn't warp at that time. And, uh, yeah, so, no, it worked out really good.
1: And what about, um, mate, if we talk tri- uh, trigger max, what, what would you recommend or what are you using as a, a good, reliable trigger mechanism? Um,
2: there's a, there's a lot on the market at the moment. I think when I started making guns, it was pretty much either got an undersea mechanism, a rife mechanism, or you could hopefully get into contact with Peter Kesby and get one of his mechanisms. But uh, now there's Neptonics. They make a bunch of different mechanisms. They're an American company. Um, there's a distributor here um, in Australia, uh, the lady that does that. She's a really nice lady, great customer service. Um, yeah, she's um, she's actually married to the bloke that um, makes the gear. And uh, oh, cool. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, mixing work with pleasure there, but um, yeah, she, no, she's. There's a lot of there's
0: a lot of stuff like that in spearfishing. so Yeah, yeah. Um, but they what, make what, extra what stuff.
2: Me- yeah, they got what it. mix do you use, Dad? Uh, I use mechanisms from a, a, a guy named Petros, a Greek fellow. Um, he's from um, somewhere in um, somewhere in Greece. Greece. Um, <laughs> yeah, somewhere in Greece. There's a lot of places in Greece. Yeah. I forgot where it is, but uh, yeah, he makes a brand called Meandros or Meandros, however you want to pronounce it, and uh, yeah, Greek and he makes a lot of uh, cool, nice, low-profile, really smooth um, reverse-trigger mechanisms. And I've been using those for about oh, two and a half years since I found him online. And, um, yeah, he's...
0: Obvi- Obviously, you'd be using um, US dollars because if you use Greek dollars, like you'd have to give them like a couple of million or something. Yeah.
2: I, I, I haven't bought anything since uh, Greece sort of died. Um, called, so financially, euros, so to speak. Yeah, the euro. i euros, but, yeah, I'm sort Greek of a, a little, little hesitant to... Um, <laughs> A little hesitant to buy some stuff from there at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I know, I understand what you're saying. So so where, where,
0: so where can I get some of them Greek wow, dollars? Look, pre Euro, there was Greek dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? Greek <laughs> All right, oh. It was a while ago, so look, let's display Shrek's international ignorance here. Uh, You've made it. What about <laughs>
2: shafts? Shafts and um, tracks, uh, if you're going to use a, a solid. Oh if, you, oh, if you got if you use a if you have a timber gun generally you just cut a track into it with a, with a, a round nose router bit, um, so you don't really need mm-hmm. to buy a track as such. But um, yeah, generally you can get um, five 16 inch round nose router bits. They're about they're seven point nine mil and yeah they work work pretty good um, just to run a track. And you don't have, to have it too deep, um, but you know if you depends on what sort of shaft you're running. If you're running a shaft with shark fins, you know you can have it a bit deeper because your bridles won't scrape on the side. But if you're running notches, you know you got to have it a bit shallower so the bridle actually engages into the spear but um yeah for spears i generally use uh, primal spears because they're cheap and mine normally get eaten or snapped off or bent or yep. anything just lost in general um, before i bend them so i'm not not too worried they're pretty cheap um good good steel um yeah very hard to bend and um if i'm using on my shorter sort of guns like my short little roller guns i generally get a get a rife shaft and hack that up and um just an eight mil stainless steel rife shaft and make my own sort of nice super sharp tip and remake the end and fit it to my mechanism. So yeah, just a bit of do it yourself stuff there. So
1: beautiful mate. I just want to go back to um, trigger mechanisms. Yep. What what's the advantage of the reverse mech? And
2: why do you use it? Um, well, it gives you a lot uh, a bit more real estate on your gun. So in a traditional mechanism, the way the internals work, um, the very front, you know, where you'll Spear sticks in, um, that's where the spear engages. But the way the internals of a reverse mechanism work, um, it engages at the back of the mechanism. And um, the way that actually um, helps in your gun is um, you can get your hand position up. You can build the handle around those mechanisms a bit better and get them more high up like a like sort of like you know, a rail gun style, like a Rob Allen. You know how your hand, where you're, between your thumb and your index finger, that's almost in line with your spear. And that sort of mm-hmm. absorbs the recoil a lot better compared to, say, you know, you get like a Rife Blue Water where there's this chunky handle, like, you know, two inches below where the spear is, you know, and that tends to roll over your wrist when you shoot it. So, um, yeah, and right you feel right. the recoil a bit more. So the reverse mechs, they work like that. Plus, um, everything, you know, I, can, I've, I think I did one side by side to compare to a, you know, a Rob Allen versus one of my um, guns with a reverse mech. And um, I think I gained an extra 13 centimeters of stretch. Um, like wow, so, your band, wow. bands are stretching an extra thirteen centimeters. So you sort of really sort of just taking advantage of all all the real estate on your gun, sort of giving you a bit more power. Yeah, so the gun,
1: it. the gun can be shorter for the same power, which makes it means it's going to be more manoeuvrable in the water and
2: yeah, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, you know, you, you, you generally your range is determined by the length of your line, which is generally determined by how many wraps you've got, or if you're only running a single wrap, the length of your gun. But um, yeah, it's just like when I'm I mainly sort of got into those when I was sort of designing a, um, a gun for Barramundi in a certain certain area that's generally not really better than two metres viz and we sort of, Tim and I were discussing, you know, how to get a, a small gun that um, packs a heck of a lot of punch. You know, you, sometimes you're trying to shoot a fish that's 20 kilos with giant thick scales on it and you really want to go through it at close range and you can't use a really long gun that's got a lot of power. So we were using guns around 80 centimetres. I had a little mid-handled roller that was really hit and miss because I couldn't aim at mid-handle very well. So I ended up uh, with a rear handle and... You know put the notch on the spear really far back on the spear as far back as it would go with a reverse mech and yeah I've, it's shot heaps of heaps of fish actually just sold it to, uh, sold it to a mate because i built a, a replacement gun but yeah it's shot you know probably 50 barra between me and a, a couple mates so um yeah it's definitely awesome. worked well so
0: you, you, you've built a
2: lot of guns dan
0: how many guns do you think
2: you've built there at home oh the last time i added it up i think a couple of years ago i think i built over maybe like a hundred or so but <laughs> I, I, no, I could That's unbelievable.
1: But you've got a you got a pretty flash workshop, though, don't you? Um,
2: yeah, oh, I've moved out of that house, but um, the, the last workshop I've had for the last two years is just a oh, probably I think it's a four by four shed um, with, with, with a workbench outside. I built a couple extravagant, um, uh, completely synthetic um, carbon fiber and and foam type type spear guns out of there that I'm I'm yeah. using at the moment. So yeah. So- you That's awesome.
1: So you, I, I want to talk. I want to talk yeah. to you about that. So why you, don't you run us run us through how you how the process for your new carbon guns that you're producing? Because you, we've seen them and they're they're pretty flash.
2: Yeah. Um, well, basically, like with timber gun, you know, you've got you, you're relying on the strength of the timber for the strength of your of your gun. So with a with a, a composite gun, the, um, some people, you know, have used it. I've I've done it before. You use a timber core and put carbon over the outside, and you know it looks good, but you know you're still relying on the on the timber side, so sort of. I'm a glutton, glutton for punishment and self-pain. Self so I um, decided to go the, the full synthetic route with a, with a foam core, which um, has next to nothing in strength, sort of like, it's like a surfboard without fibreglass on it. You know, it's pretty easy to snap um, this foam on the inside. So I shape my core and then I um, use um, a shell on the outside of uh, basically carbon fibre, a lot of layers of that in different directions um, to provide the strength on the outside, sort of like the eggshell principle, yeah. you know. And yep. um, vacuum vacuum that down with a, a vacuum bag, um, infused with um, resin and um yeah, that's the the very short version of it, and yeah, make it make it look like a spear gun, and um, yeah, go from there. So they've been a, a bit of fun, bit of challenge, and um, provided some uh, advantages over the timber guns for me personally. Um, yep. So yeah, you can build them a bit bit slimy. It's easier to shape a block of foam than it is timber, and you know you don't get splinters, and um, yeah, you can get it you can get it thinner, and you can get it thinner, and it will float a spear better as well. But you generally have to add a lot of lead to them because they are very very floaty when it's just foam and carbon fiber. So.
1: Yeah right, and the um and you've you run what two guns at the moment, don't you? I think.
2: You've yeah, I've, I've really sold, I've sold it. I've sold everything else because I'm I'm moving yeah. overseas. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a little short eighty centimeter roller that I use for um dirty water, barramundi, black jew or, you know down here in Brisbane, sort of jewfish, or anything dirty really, or where you like a lot of surge, maybe you know it can be clean, but you know headland diving or anything like that where you're likely to run into something or. Even just for fun, if you get bored of shooting mackerel, go out and try and get really close with a little 80 centimeter gun and knock them over with that. It's always fun. So you've got that gun, and you had a
1: yeah, you brought in another one to show us. It was uh, is it a 1.4 standard? Oh no
2: no it's but oh, it's, it's pretty much a 1.2. So the so basically from where the where the bands are in the front to where the notches are on the on the spears, one point two meters. So not a real long one, but not a real short one. Just a good old round. I Just run that with um seven and a half mil spear and Two sixteen 16 rubbers, and, yeah, I generally try and kill most things with that. Yeah, awesome.
1: Mate, yeah, that, that's an awesome um, that, that's an awesome veterans vault, dude. Got heaps out of that. Um, and now we're going to move on to our next segment, and I think it's time for Pedro. Where is he? Pedro. Pedro, Fast Five Facts for Noob. See, Pedro. it's time for Noob Spiro's Fast Five Facts.
0: So if you were starting out again, Dan... Uh, all over again what five pieces of advice would you like to have had uh
2: the first thing i would probably wish someone would have told me is to uh try all the fish for yourself uh first up instead of um you know taking everyone's word for oh this fish tastes like crap or i hate that fish and you know, that's not worth shooting and that sort of stuff because um generally you'll you'll find that um you know we'll you'll generally find that you, you like different things and everyone's got different tastes. You know, not everyone likes oysters, but um, some people, you know, just about slit someone's throat for an oyster. Other people, not so much. So I think I think there's a vast difference in the taste of fish. So I really, you know, encourage people, you know, like just to taste everything everything once, just give it a go once. And if it's no good, you know, you know for next time, at least you're not speculating because everyone always, you know, being told, you know, oh, mangrove jack, beautiful fish, such the best eating fish in the ocean. I'd love eating jacks. But I don't really particularly... Not a big, I'm not a great fan, like I'll eat it, but uh, it's not not the first thing I would um, pull out of my freezer. So, um, yeah.
0: I think I was telling you before, I've got a mate um, who owns a Thai restaurant, and he shot a a fish that most people in Queensland would not want to borrow. It's a moorwong. Yeah. And he took it back to his restaurant, got his chefs to cook it up, and he said, like, Everyone just absolutely was just loved it, and and uh, and that's that's like the most undesirable fish apparently in our waters. Oh, they yeah. it. They're not they're not
2: very smart. I had uh, actually uh, Greg Smith cooked one time. He cooked some silver trevally. Up. I'm like, oh, silver trevally. I was like, really turning my nose up to it. And uh, he spends a lot of uh, he spends a lot of time in Thailand just on business, and so he's like, he really loves his hot food. And um, yeah, he cooked up this thing. It was it was bloody hot, but uh, yeah, unreal fish just tastes great. You know, like if you, I think a lot I think a lot of Australians get sort of oh, if you can't Crum it and stick it in a, you know, stick it in a shallow fryer. You know, oh, it's not worth eating. And um, yeah, I just think you know you've got to try everything once, and if you don't like it, come to your own conclusions. But um, don't let anyone go. Oh, what are you shooting that for? Because yeah, love it. All right, number two, Dan. Um, I would say on the fish topic of eating fish, uh, keep enough ice um, in in your esky if you're going to go diving. Um, Good one. Have enough ice in your esky. It's sort of part of the whole respecting respecting not your catch. That-
0: not the sort of ice that turbo did at high school though no
2: <laughs> <laughs> are you serious
0: <laughs> sorry it was pretty bad wasn't it? right i don't know so, right, sorry dan number three right
2: number number three or is that number two are we still on number two about the ice ah oh, keep, keep going if you oh, like right, yes you, you at the end of the day you're really there to to get a feed and have a bit of fun so you might as well look after you catch uh catch a lot and that's probably another reason like touching on the first topic while people think things taste like crap is because like well no wonder it tastes like like rubbish you've you've got no ice on it it's been sweltering on the deck of your tinny for the last 5 hours yes yeah. it's like you know it, there's yeah. nothing
1: like a, a 20 plus kilo
2: mackerel sitting on the deck for a few hours that mm-hmm. hasn't been gutted or bled <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly right yeah yeah bleed Good bleed stuff. your fish as well you don't you don't oh, bleed your fish gut parrots that's probably the, the two things yep. I would say on, on the ice thing. Um, well number three, I wish someone would um, tell me, would have told me not to uh, compare myself to others so much. Um, obviously, everyone's at different stages of diving. Um, you know, like I think you got to sort of be real with yourself. That uh, um, you know, you're not. A, if you see someone, you know, you know, diving, diving long time, or you know, shooting really awesome fish, don't get, don't get down and out about it. Like uh, I used to get caught up in it a little bit on Facebook. You know, everyone gets on after there's been a weekend of awesome weather, especially Brisbane, you know, because there's a lot of guys that go out of Brisbane and post a lot of photos and i would go, oh, yeah, you know, I shot this on Saturday, I'll be real chuffed with myself come Monday morning seeing all these photos going, oh, damn it, you know, why didn't I do that? You know, I'm crap, you know, I didn't I didn't go and shoot what they shot and, you know, this person shot a bloody marlin or something and you, you sort of get a bit bummed and you get a bit depressed and you're always sort of worried about what everyone else is sort of going to think and, like, like, at the end of the day, like, I've sort of changed... Uh, a fair bit that I'm sort of just trying to either better myself or, um, you know, just target a fish and go, I'm going to go do this today and try and do it. And, um, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But, like, when you if you sit there comparing yourself to everyone else, it's like the classic old thing with women, you know. They see uh, people in the tabloid magazines and go, oh, she's pretty, you know, look how skinny this supermodel is. Like, it's not, hel- <laughs> it's not, it's not healthy for you. It does, does you does you no good. Like, it's – but uh, in the same token, you know, it's great to see, um, you know, what can, can be done as well. So I don't want to take away from anyone that actually – you know, really depth is a lot another of, depth.
1: Depth is another competitive point too, isn't it?
2: Oh, look, yeah, i Yeah, a lot of people get hung up on depth or like, you know, ask you how, you know, how deep did you shoot that and that sort of stuff. But you know, I got to be honest, I like that snapper I shot on a short dive, six meters of water. Um, yeah. like, I shot um, yeah. a snapper earlier in the year that was a PB, six and a half kilos. It was like ten meters at best. Um, you know, yeah. like oh. All Shrek's Moys come
1: from sort of six meters of water. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, uh- hey, I, I, I actually I really like your
0: point, three Dan. I, I, I think this is a big a big problem for guys starting out, and uh, we've had some guys talk about it previously, comparing themselves to the photos they see on Facebook. And I I think I think you're spot on. Like um, the good fish, like some days they come, some days they don't. Yeah. But I've 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 been out with the same on the same boatload of guys with four other guys. And one day I will be the worst diver on the boat, and I will shoot the best fish. And on another day I'll be the best diver on the same boat with the same guys, and 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 I'll shoot nothing. And uh, and I'm th- a wise old sage. Okay? Yes. Well, well, I, I I just think like like. It doesn't even matter. Like sometimes it's just Johnny on the spot and comparisons just, a, it's a poor way to judge yourself with this. It's not, even,
2: it's not really necessarily accurate either. Like i i got a mate, I grew up with known him since day dot and he's always been hounding me to take him out diving. And you know, he's finally got away another couple of years ago when we went off tweet and outside of tweet Heads, and he got crook within like 10 minutes. And I'm like, Oh mate, this sucks. Um, and I said, Oh, well, let's run up to Palm Beach, you'll feel better if we run up, you know, do a 10, 15k run up the coast in the boat. And he was feeling good and sort of generally nice and flat at Palmy and anchored the boat up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go swim off and shoot mackerel and show my mate how good, a, how much of a legend I am and shoot a mackerel. And then I hear him scream out, Dan, Dan, I'm, I've shot something. And like, this bloke's been spearing never in his life and uh, <laughs> probably shouldn't have swam off. But I gave, gave him a, a float. I gave him a float. I swam off, you know, 50 meters. I hear him go, oh, Dan, I've shot something. I'm like, oh, here we go, what's he shot? And then I swim over there, lo and behold, this bastard is just, he goes, oh, they just came up to me on the surface and I shot one. He, he'd scon this, like, 12-kilo cobia. And that was the, only, <laughs> was the only fish we put in the boat all day. And he's, oh. he's sitting there on the surface holding onto the handle of the gun, you know, getting dragged under by this cobia. I've gone down yeah. and second shot it for him. But, like, I said, mate, why do not you let go of your gun? He goes, oh, I didn't know what would happen. He's got, you know, got, got a 20-meter rig on on with a float on him. I'm like, yeah, right eh? you know, that's that's a good good bit of humble pie. There you go, you know. The bloke's never been in the water before. I'm... Thinking about oh, yeah, how good am I, yeah, I'm talking it yeah, up to him. Yeah, yeah I'll go spearfishing fishing all the time, I'm a legend. And then he goes and just does that. And you know, if you compare yourself yeah. to to that, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So Yeah, just don't take cool. don't take yourself so seriously. Just just remember Is that number four? Remember you're out there for fun. Is that number four? Uh what did we do for one? so i'll go i'll
0: go i'll go back so number one was try try all the fish for yourself be a good be a good cook yes (laughs) that's what i have put anyway number two was um keep enough ice on board and actually use it don't just um throw your fish on the deck Mm. number three was um not to compare yourself with others so as number four don't take yourself too seriously
2: yeah don't take yourself too seriously yeah just just have fun like at the end of the day remember you're out there to have have fun if you get you know, too caught up on the, oh, i got to shoot this or I'm not good, you know, he sort of takes the joy right out of it. Like I've had a few days like that where I've seen someone, you know, shoot a good fish and then you get real antsy and you're like real stressed about, oh, I'm not going to get a fish. And, you know, you just go, oh, mate, at the end of the day, today's my day or it's not my day or what can I learn from this person? Because they've obviously shot something that I haven't, you know, like sort of, yeah. I think you sort of got to, yeah, just. Yeah.
0: That's, that's what I love about diving with turbo, Dan, like, you know, the bloke, he dives, he dives maybe 15 feet on a good day and, uh, you 15 know, the best. <laughs> the only fish he seems to shoot, are the dumbest fish, but like, there seems to be a lot of dumb fish around when oh, turbo's in the water.
2: So not, not every, you, not every fish is intelligent. Like you yeah, like that, that uh, snapper was asleep that I shot on that short. Exactly eye. I was virtually right. asleep and you're going to, no, no, no one's going to take that turbo. away from me. I don't care if it was asleep.
1: <laughs> oh, totally, man! And, and if I'm shooting all those
0: dumb fish and Shrek can't, what's
1: that say about him? <laughs> <man>?
0: <laughs> I'm worse. I, I gut shot dumb fish. Well, so. you don't eat the
2: guts anyway, so that's all right.
1: That's exactly. true. That, yeah.
0: uh, that's that's what I tell the boys. I say, look, you guys had to use your knife. Yes. I use my gun. You know. Yeah.
2: Do you uh? You gut every fish you shoot?
0: Uh pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I use it for burly. Um, right. but. Yeah, I don't know. What, what What's your take on oh,
2: that? Oh, I've been getting real lazy lately. I just, uh, if I shoot a fish, um, like if it's not super big or like anything that's probably not going to get out of my hands, I'll just, like, so if I shoot a little you know, three-kilo jack or something, I'll grab it by the throat and I'll take the spear out and use the spear to stab it in the head and probably not a great practice because, you know, the one time I slip, it'll swim away from me and probably die. But, um, yeah, I just do that and then maybe give it a bit of a, a poke up uh, in the throat section um, to bleed it. And as soon as it starts bleeding, that's... In the boat, generally, I don't I don't, oh, I, I don't really gut fish. The only thing I gut is a parrot. I'll, even still, I'm too lazy to do that these days. I just sort of throw it in the boat and, look, I don't... Let the boaty do it. Oh, no, I don't even let the body do it. Like, I just don't... I don't find my filleting technique pierces a gut cavity, generally, so I'm not not too fast. I'm going to fill it generally 99% of my fish. If, if I know if I shoot something, I go, yes, I'm going to eat this whole. Like, if I shoot a pearly or something like that, I'm generally going to eat it whole because then tricky little bastards and there's not a lot of meat when you fillet them. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah like, I don't know, I just... Probably, probably do taste better. If you shoot a cod though, I would say cod do taste a bit better when you gut them.
0: Yeah, I, I pretty much gut everything in the water. Um, it's not a bad thing, like, anyway. Yeah, well, it's it sort of like you don't have to worry about bleeding them, even like it, it sort of does both at if, the same time, and and it saves you doing it when you're filling it. But I see your point. I,
2: I think some, I think there is a theory though, like fish on ice. If you're like on a several day trip, I think fish that aren't gutted tend to last longer on ice. Like if you just you know do the throat oh, throat okay. slit, I think. I think it's something to do with, you know, you've opened the gut cavity and, you know, bacteria, you've sort of induced that into the flesh. So, like, if you're doing, like, a, you know, a reef trip or you're doing a couple trip day trip up the coast, I think, uh, don't quote me, I'm sure that someone will be able to in- enlighten you uh, or Google would, surely Google would. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I, I think gutting them isn't the best for, like, you know, if you're keeping fish for a couple of days on ice before you fill it in them sort of thing. So cool. I'm, no, I'm, That's okay. I generally get home pretty late at night, so I'm just like, yep, going to work tomorrow, I'll fill it those tomorrow. I don't really, really gut them, so. Yeah, okay. That was a very, very big detail that we just took there.
0: That's fine. That's fine. This is all good things. Number five. Number
2: five. Keep your mouth shut. Um, Keep your mouth shut. Yes. Um, With like when when you're first starting out, I, I'm probably, I'm a little bit of a, um, not a skeptic. I don't know what the word is. I'm probably a little bit older and somewhat more. wise to what happens but i like I, like old shrek the, sh- the sage. well i don't dive with a lot of people um like different people i've probably got maybe i've got four bloke or oh, three other blokes that i dive with that i can go anywhere with say anything to about any spot and not have to worry about you know them taking a boatload of people or you know we, we all we just got it was four of us that so we just you know generally quite a tight-knit sort of thing and like there's some spots that you know, I'm even hesitant to take my brother to, um, because, uh, you know, I just, I just think like yeah, that a lot of people, uh, on Facebook uh, or just in general, like, like telling mm. people where they shoot yeah. stuff. And, um, like if you, if I go out on someone's boat, you know, and they take me to a spot and, um, you can get back there with landmarks, you know, it's, I just think it's really disrespectful and rude to, you know, one, go back there yourself. Um, and two like, go back there with other people they, you know, if someone's taking, like if yeah. someone that's you know, like, taking you out on their boat or, um, you know, like, stealing GPS. Mark, look, I've heard heaps of stories about people, you know, using their phones or taking GPSs in bags. Like, you just, like, just like, dogs. The best Do- one I saw yeah.
1: was uh was, Tuskytown was tagged in a, a post.
0: Oh,
2: like... Yeah, a just,
1: it was awesome. Oh, yeah, it was tagged on
0: Facebook, like, yeah. with the GPS location yeah. and everything, like, on a photo. Like, and, uh... Yeah. Ad- admittedly, that spot is on BCF. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, like, like, but, know, but still... I
2: remember I went... I went oh, can I tell this story? Oh, I don't know him anymore. But, yeah, a couple of years ago I went down to Tweed Comp and I was, really wanted to win, win for the year and I needed to do well in this comp and my boat was rooted at the time and I couldn't get a boat ride. And so some bloke that was just in the club decided, yeah, we'll take his boat. So I went to his place, picked up his boat, you know, this big giant tinny thing and we went. I thought stuff, I'm going to dive all coastal stuff. It was the middle of winter, so I dived all the headlands and Kingscliff, you know, just landmark type stuff. And the one spot I did go to with my handheld GPS Um, I got back in the boat, and when he jumped in there, there was a spot on the on his GPS that said Dan spot, and I was just like, "Thanks, (laughs) mate." I have not talked to him since. Um, I'm just like, mate, I just got no, no. Generally, if you're going out with a bloke that knows what he's doing, uh, they got no time for people that are, you know, taking marks or like, you know, like going back to spots, like going back there with a boatload of divers. You know, you go to all that effort. You know, you find a spot yourself, you find what works, you take someone there, they shoot fish there, and then they go, "Oh, I'm just gonna take ten blokes back there." Oh, they won't take anyone there, you know. And then it's just. Boom, you know, like yeah, there's nah. there's a couple of spots in the bay, you know, like that. Obviously, you know, people have shot tuskies at you know eight, ten years ago, and um, you know, they just the word gets out, and people just hammer and hammer. You barely find a three yeah. kilo tusky in some of those spots now, you know. Like if it's not for you, if not for yourself, like um, like in your own diving, if you if you keep giving out your spots, telling everyone where you shoot fish, you know, people are smart to work it out. People get back to spots, you know, and they go, oh, what was you know you go on the weekend and go out of Morton go oh well I shot this out of Morton um what did everyone yeah, else shoot yeah, and you go oh where'd you shoot that and they go oh this was happening here and you can you know people are smart enough to work it out and like I'm not a lot of people will resent me and go oh you're a bastard because you know you don't give away spots but at the same time you know you're trying to make you're making it more difficult for yourself if you do sort of give out your spots but if, if you're a noob like just you know, just respect people if someone says don't go back here with someone or don't take anyone here or don't tell anyone when we went today just go yeah cool mate no worries like um yeah good, that, that, that no, that that, good advice that goes a long yep. way with with a lot of people and you're likely to get a second boat ride out there you know maybe one day they will go hey you know you can go back here if you want Cool, no worries we've been diving together i trust you but um i like i know, I know a lot of a lot of people that've been you know severely burnt by that sort of stuff and yeah it's just i got
0: i got a mate on the sunny coast and he helped me when i got started and he took me out for lots of boat rides and uh and he took me to this one spot that um one day um is that
1: where you took me the other day? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: is that the one you were ne- telling me about the
2: other day? Yeah.
0: Nah. <laughs> look, I went there with um him and one other guy, and we had like just one of the best days I've ever had out spearfishing. We, we, we all we all shot kingfish. Uh, sorry, um, black spot tuskfish over nine kg and nice. Um, and we all got one each, and, and there were four fish landed over, uh, nine kg that day, and two of them went over eleven. They're my cursed and fish. Uh,
2: those bastards.
0: Yeah, yeah, and but this spot was magic, you know, and it was just one of those days that the three of us shared, and uh, I know where that spot is, and I've never ever taken anyone else there, and I never will. And uh, I, I was, I had an opportunity two weeks later with another guy who took us out, and and this guy sort of knew where the spot was too, but we had four other guys on the boat that day, and we weren't taking them there, even though it was a competition. Yeah, and uh, we didn't, because that that same guy had taken us both to that same spot, and uh, I think there is um sort of this unspoken understanding that spear has had that look just keep keep what you have under your hat and so it's good advice so all good yeah right we're gonna we're gonna recap those five points i think we've all right number one <laughs> try all the fish for yourself be a good cook number two keep enough ice yes and actually use it yes uh number three don't compare yourself with others number four don't take yourself too seriously remember what we're out there for and have a good time number five keep your mouth shut be careful what you say with who yep no well, good righto crucial kit for noobs what piece of equipment is essential when you're starting out what brands do you recommend and why we
2: we said filleting knives last time didn't we yeah absolutely anything you like dan uh, did you just think the filleting knife was a bit weak was it because i do no, no oh, I, I loved it okay that was great okay well, an essential piece of equipment for Noob Spiros would be the trusty fill- no, um, <clears throat> Sorry, I've got cabin fever, mate. Like, I don't talk to anyone, but the same six <laughs> blokes every day for the last it's good, 20 right? days. Hang, uh, hang oh, out. new people. I'm, so, I'm sociably excited at the moment. Um, <laughs> um, uh, a good yeah, filling we now. We've got to go now. Cutting out. Cutting out.
0: He's been a yeah, start again, Dan, sorry. Crucial kit for noobs, Dan. What piece of equipment is absolutely essential starting out? What brands do you recommend and why?
2: A sharp filleting knife. Um, yeah? Yes, a good filleting knife. And um, not one of those flexy ones. I can't stand, or I don't know anyone good that fillets with a flexy filleting knife. Um, just a sort of like a firm firm blade, something like your $30 Victorinox, um mm-hmm. Fibrox handle sort of yep. type thing. Yep. The F-Dick make a good one as well um, so you can have a 12 inch dick on your boat, um, (laughs) F dick, sorry, um, 12 inch F dick. Um, yeah, just a, a nice, good, generally just a butcher's type boning knife. Um, you can get it from King of Knives or online or something like that, but yeah, a good, a good filleting knife and, and learn how to, to use it because, um, that's what you're there for is, um, looking after your catch. I think it's very important, you know, to, to eat, eat what you kill and,
0: so, Have you got any shortcuts, like advice for guys that are just starting to fillet their
2: own fish? I just fillet lots of fish. Um, just the more you do it, the better. Unfortunately, it's just one of those things that you you sort of get good at, or what, or, what, or ask somebody that's like full ninja at it to to show you how to fillet. Um, yeah, there's yeah, surprising. There's some people are completely useless at it. Actually, not mentioning Josh, yeah. not mentioning Josh Ball's name. No, he's all right, <laughs> but um, yeah, just some people are. Shout out to Josh Ball, yeah, thanks, th- Josh. Thanks, yeah. Ballbag. Um, thanks for listening to the show. <laughs> yeah, no, Josh is alright. He's just he's not renowned for his um his prowess in filleting, so that's alright. But yeah, just just do it lots, practice, and um, when you're practicing, like if you're first starting out, it does give you a lot of confidence to have like a, a male, chainmail glove. I've got a little um, titanium um, chainmail glove that only goes down to my wrist, so it's nice and light and. Um, yeah, you just feel invincible, mate. So you can just mow through them, and yeah, nice sharp knife makes it easy, makes it quick. Get more more return off your fish, and um, yeah, a sharp knife is a safe knife. I always say.
1: And what are you? you you're running it through one of those like those little sharpener things? That
0: Ergos, you just, uh, like an ergo, like a uh, a. Um... or you got a diamond? Oh, I've
2: the, got the a kit, steel. a kit from um, Spyderco with a spelled with a Y. S P Y D. Yeah, something, Spyderco. Um, it's like this yep. triangle sharp maker, they call it. And yeah, it's got these little ceramic yep. stones in it, mate, and I can generally, once I finish sharpening those, um, yeah, I can shave my arm hairs with them. So, um, yeah, Spot nice. Okay. Spyderco. Wow, Spyderco, yeah. That's a
0: good knife. I've seen your arm hair. Yes. <laughs> yes, and then, and then it, and
2: it promptly requires sharpening again. But, um, yeah, yeah, I just use that and a, and a steel for touching up. I always use a steel when I'm um, uh, filleting. I always take one of those with my, with my kit if, just to touch up when you're and you've knocked over half a dozen fish and you got some more you just touch your knife edge up with the steel works really good so um, yeah just learn how to fill it and get a good filleting knife it's probably pretty cool essential bit of kit
0: Ex- excellent that's that's great it was so um, look Dan if you had a call to action to make for our audience um, something you'd like them to do after listening to the show what would it be oh. last time I think you mentioned the new online store um, oh, not, oh
2: well um, yeah as as mentioned at the start I'm' uh, been involved doing a lot of uh dvd production and media type stuff for spearfishing down under magazine and um yeah a new sort of venture that's starting out um icebureau.com jump on that um yeah some awesome content up there we've got a a few guys from around the world on board getting just some of the stuff that we sort of held off putting on the dvds you know and sort of really stepped up production and just some yeah some really world-class footage and um some some stuff up there so yeah go check it out iSpiro.com.
0: Right, I will link that up in the show notes as well. Oh, so um noob Sparrow, just go, go there and have a look b- at that. By the way, I, I wrote an article for Spearfishing down under magazine.
1: You think yeah, did I did I make the cut?
2: Uh, yeah. was that for issue fifty one? Oh possibly. Uh, uh, th- look, I think... it,
0: it might have got put back till you didn't have enough content. Oh <laughs> 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 I'm on them. They might. They like you know how it's a B reel. Like artists <laughs> have a, a track side. You know, like that might
2: be. Uh, that's a little bit before my vintage, but I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. What's
0: what's 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 happening in maybe that DVD, Dan? Um. Oh, I've um,
2: sorted through sorted through 50 gigabytes of, of Bryson's footage from um, Peru World Titles and uh, his little yeah, yeah, his cool. little trip to wow. Ecuador. So that was pretty cool. Some big broomtail grouper. Yep. and uh, some really dirty fish and dirt, dirty water in, in in and little fish in in Peru uh, some cool New South Wales stuff um what else got on to that one uh, Aaron Puckeridge actually um, has got some of Aaron's uh, Aaron's adventures on there he's enough oh, cool. yeah you never know where that bloke's diving That bloke doesn't say a thing yeah. he's obviously listened to Dan's podcast and and keeps his mouth shut but no <laughs> you never know where that bloke dives ever you never know where he is at and any it, stage. Uh, but, um,
0: Aaron Packard, he's got the current junior world record for green jobfish. Oh mean, no,
2: it's it's full open world record, mate. It's it it is it. It yeah? is it. Yeah, it's like
0: wow, it's
2: just a beast. That thing, like I've seen a few like sort of 12, 13 kilo jobbies get shot, and you just look at those and they go, they are incredible. And then you whack another four kilos on that. The thing was just an absolute beast. But um, yeah, wow. it's just some of the fish he shot. Like I've I've heard a few people say, oh, you know, he's only you know, only shooting fish because of his dad. But mate, he's he is killing it. Like I think he won the New South Wales state titles or something recently like he's yeah he's an absolute gun and a really really um really nice nice guy i think i've met him she once yeah yeah really really nice young guy and just can kill fish obviously he's got a great mentor there but um yeah he's yeah, got, got yeah. some of his stuff in there as well he's got some cool dog tooth tuner action and yeah
0: all right so icepero.com plus the next uh Spirit edition of uh, spearfishing down under magazine cool yep all right, so parting piece of guidance for our audience. Is there? Is there sort of like a bit of advice you'd, you'd love to offer some of the guys starting out or or anything to our audience in general, Dan?
2: Be good to you, Mum. <laughs> love it. <laughs>
0: thanks for talking to us, Dan the man.
2: Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we did it. Better this time, obviously. Yeah. Second take. Yeah. Good on you. Cheers, <laughs> thanks, mate. Down um, the line.
1: Thanks for listening today, Noob Spiro. If you'd like to find out any more information
0: from today's guest, then head over to noobspiro.com. We really appreciate you guys as listeners. Without you, we couldn't do the show. So if you want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes or head on over to noobspiro.com and uh, sign up for our newsletter. We won't send you crap. So that's all
1: from us. A big hoo We hope to see you soon. Shrek over and out.